Uh, Lord God, it's been a four-month journey through the book of, uh, or through the, the life of Abraham and God's grace in his life. And Lord, we just pray that uh, this study uh, will be impactful in its final uh, day here. And, and Lord, that uh, the Holy Spirit will come now and work in our hearts and minds and, and bring the, the word uh, to us and help us to understand it and to uh, implement it in our lives. We pray in your precious name. Amen. All right, well, Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy magazine, died last month, as many of you know. Uh, and Hugh Hefner, uh, you know, when, when he died, uh, many in the media practically canonized him for his uh, progressive attitudes toward free speech and his ability to break down uh, uptights, uh, uptight barriers, uh, sexual barriers, right? Uh, that's one way to, to look at his legacy. Another way to look at his legacy is that he introduced pornography into the mainstream, that he whetted our, the public's appetite for more hardcore pornography, which is now readily available on the internet, that he objectified women, uh, that he made them second-class citizens, that he uh, brought sex into the mainstream in, in a more damaging way, uh, and that he, he uh, exploited them first for sexual and monetary gain. Uh, and, and so that's another way to look at his legacy. And, and that's just his earthly legacy. And now if we were to talk about his spiritual legacy, what would we say? Uh, I don't see any spiritual legacy in his life except for the damage that he's done to individuals and to society as a whole. And that's not the kind of legacy that we want to leave. So when I said you Hefner, you people were probably thinking, where's he going with this? Well, on the other end of the spectrum from Hugh Hefner is Abraham, right? We have a man, Abraham, here who, who lived a different kind of life uh, than Hugh Hefner lived. It was a, uh, he was a sinner to be sure, but this was a man who followed after God and he did the best he could, uh, even though there were some mistakes. And, and he left a physical earthly legacy, but more importantly, he left a spiritual legacy, which is beyond compare and which is in the Bible so that we might emulate it. So he's a man of incomparable faith. And as Paul calls him in Romans 4, he's the father of all who believe. So as we come to this final chapter and uh, 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 the final message on Abraham's life, what we're going to be looking at is first his, uh, his, his physical earthly legacy. And we're also going to be looking at his spiritual legacy from Hebrews chapter 11. And then we'll try and look at what we have learned uh, from his life and God's grace in his life. So if you will turn with me to chapter 25, uh, we'll start to look at his physical legacy and we'll look at the children that he had. We're going to read verse 1 and then verses 5 through 6. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore to him, I'm sorry, uh, verse 5. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to, th to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. So I didn't read all the names of the sons, but there are six sons. And so at 140 years old or older, Abraham got married again and he fathered six more children. Go Abraham, right? I mean, that's pretty impressive at 140 years old or older. So he was able to do that. And so he's, he's continuing to leave this physical earthly legacy, uh, God blessing him. Uh, and these, these children who are mentioned in verses two to four, they become part of the descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand uh, on the seashore. And so that's what he does. But like Ishmael, 
these children are not children of the promise. Only Isaac is the child of the promise. So he has to deal with these children uh, while he's still alive. He's got to ensure that uh, these, these children are taken care of, but yet the child of the promise, Isaac, has to be protected and Abraham's estate has to be protected. Uh, you know, Paul McCartney, after Linda McCartney died, uh, Paul McCartney remarried again to Heather Mills. And he did not have a prenuptial agreement when he remarried. And when they got divorced, it cost him $50 million uh, because he didn't have a prenuptial agreement. Well, Abraham must have had a good lawyer because that did not happen to Abraham. Abraham made sure that his estate was protected. And so uh, when Isaac uh, was looking for a wife, when Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, he promised Rebekah's family that Isaac was going to inherit it all. And so he had to make that protection and provision for Abraham. So he gives these gifts to his other sons while he's still living. And then he sends these sons away eastward so that they would not be in the promised land anymore. They would not be a threat to his inheritance and not be a threat to the estate. So having taken care of his children and having protected the legacy, uh, Abraham, then he died. So let's take a look at the record of his death in verses 7 through 11. These are the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived in Beer Lehay Roy. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15, he promised Abraham, he said, As for you, you shall go to your fathers at a ripe old age, and you'll be buried at a ripe old age. And, and God was faithful to fulfill that promise that he made to Abraham. And wouldn't it be wonderful? when we died, if we felt like Abraham did, that he was full of years, that he was satisfied with life, uh, that is not a man who, who, who uh, didn't have the normal aches and pains that come with aging. Uh, but this was a man who was able to look back over his life with contentedness, knowing that God had fulfilled his promises to Abraham and that Abraham had been faithful to walk in God's uh, way. I don't want to become an old complainer. I think that's a dangerous thing to do. Nobody wants to be around negative people, right, who are just constantly complaining about how they hurt and how hard life is. Uh, we don't want to be like that. We, we want to exude the love of God. And, and even as we grow old, we want to be able to, to say, uh, God is blessing me in my life. And so as I age, I would like to just take stock of my life periodically and look back on the blessings that God has given me and, and worship God for those blessings. Uh, even though, uh, you know, we don't look like we looked 30, 40, 50 years ago, and we certainly don't feel like we did 30, 40, and 50 years ago, it's okay. You know, that's the normal part of the process of aging. We can still look back over our lives with contentedness and say, look how God has blessed me in all that that, uh, that, that uh, I have done and, and he's done, how he has blessed me through uh, his, his uh, wonderful grace. And so when I die, I would just like it to be not a time of sadness. I would like it to be a time of celebration, a time when, when people come together and say, look what God did with this rebellious, sinful man, right? It should be a celebration of what God has done uh, for each one of us as, as we take stock of our lives, thinking about what God has done 
in our lives. And, and Abraham, he lived a life like that. He lived a life uh, worthy of, of God's uh, honor on him. Uh, Abraham's trust in God was validated by the fact that, that God was faithful in his life. And God's choice of Abraham was validated by Abraham's faithful walk with God uh, throughout all of, of the years of his life, even though there was uh, a misstep or two. But when Abraham died, he was gathered to his people. And that most likely does not mean that he was buried with his people because there was no one for him to be buried with except for Sarah. Uh, his ancestors were buried somewhere else. So gathered to his people is a familiar term in the Bible that we see throughout Genesis several times where it has to do with, with uh, some conception of life after death, going to be where your ancestors were, even though their conception of life after death would not be as developed as our uh, conception of life after death would be. So he was buried uh, in the same cave that uh, uh, Sarah was buried in. And it's interesting that, that Ishmael and Isaac were able to come together at this point in time. It's the last time we see them together. They come together, even though Ishmael had been sent away to the east, they come together to bury their father. And, and that's a nice uh, picture of two sons uh, mourning their father and burying him. Uh, and, and after Abraham's death, God simply transferred the blessing from Abraham to his son Isaac. Uh, and we'll, we'll pick up the, we would pick up the story of Isaac if we were going to continue in Genesis, but, but uh, the, the blessing is his now, and the question of what happens to uh, the, the family continues throughout Genesis. But, but to show that God does not forget his promises and that he keeps his promises, the author of Genesis answers the question, well, what happened to Ishmael? So let's see what happened to Ishmael. We're going to read verse 12 and verses 17 to 18. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And then 12 sons are going to be mentioned in verses 13 to 16. Now verse 17, these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria. And he settled in defiance of all of his relatives. Well, remember back in chapter 16, verse 10, when, when Hagar had fled from Sarah, uh, God told Hagar, return to Sarah, and I will make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore as well. And then in chapter 17, uh, when Sarah wanted to send them away, uh, uh, Abraham sent Ishmael away because God had promised him, uh, I will make this child a great nation as well. Uh, and so the purpose of, of Ishmael's genealogy here, why it's recorded in, in the book, is to show that God keeps his promises. Even though this is not the child of the promise, even though he was sent away eastward, God promised that this uh, man would be a great nation. And so you have his genealogy here. But the line of the promise was going to continue through Isaac. And in order for the line to continue, there were going to have to be children. And what happens to Rebecca? We find out that she is barren. She's not able to have children. So the line will continue, but it's not gonna be able to continue without God's help, without God's gracious intervention. So let's see what God does in verses 19 through 26. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. 
Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to him. Well, Rebecca is God's chosen wife for Isaac. Remember the great lengths that, uh, that, that Abraham's servant had to go to to get Rebecca for Isaac, but she turns out to be barren. Why would God choose a barren wife for Isaac? Well, it's because he wants to show that it's not by nature or by man, but by his power that this line is going to continue. It's, it's to glorify God and God alone. Isaac was married at 40. The twins were not born until Isaac was 60. So that means that, that Rebecca and Isaac waited nearly as long as Abraham and Sarah did uh, for the birth of a child. They waited 20 years. That's a long time to wait when this is the child of the promise. And God revealed to Rebecca that there were two nations in her womb and the older would serve the younger. Well, the younger was Jacob and Jacob is the child through whom this, um, this blessing was going to continue. Now, notice that Isaac was 60 years old. We know that when Abraham was 100 years older than Isaac, so, I, so Abraham was 160 years old when the twins were born. And we were just told that Abraham died at 175. So we don't often think of this, but Abraham got to spend 15 years with these twins. He got to watch the children grow up. He got to spend time with uh, Jacob and with Isaac, and he got to know the child through whom the promise would continue. And that's God's grace in the life of Abraham. That's why, one reason why, Abraham was able to die full of years, satisfied with life, because he saw his physical earthly legacy and that it was going to continue and that God had made good on his promises. Well, Abraham did not have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky in his lifetime, but he did leave descendants. And Abraham did not inherit in his lifetime all the land that God had promised to him, but he did own a little bit of it. He had an earthly physical legacy, but he also had an incredible spiritual legacy. Uh, and the legacy that he left spiritually, we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, the writer of Hebrews reflects on Abraham quite a bit. He wrote 2,000 years after the days of Abraham, talking about Abraham's uh, spiritual legacy. So turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's see what the author has to say about Abraham. The first thing that we need to understand about Abraham's spiritual legacy is that he obtained it by faith. That's how we obtain a, 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 a spiritual legacy, is we have to appropriate that spiritual legacy by faith. So let's see what the author has to say about that in verses 1 to 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Verse 1 is not a definition of faith. 
It's a description of faith. It's a description of what faith does. That's what, what it is here. Faith believes. And hope in the Bible is not, you know, crossing your fingers uh, behind your back and hoping against hope that you'll get that bicycle that you always wanted for Christmas or whatever. That, that's not what hope is. Hope in the Bible is a, a certainty of, of what you know is going to happen. That's, that's what hope means. And I, I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. And so when we exercise faith in God, what we're saying is that we believe God by faith. We trust him. We know that he's going to fulfill his promises. That's the kind of hope uh, that we're talking about here. And the author of Hebrews cites many examples of men who, who appropriated God's blessing by faith and then lived by obedience. But we're focusing on Abraham. So let's look at what, uh, how Abraham appropriated this faith and what he did in response to his faith. Uh, he left his home not knowing where he was going. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not, going where he was, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So when Abraham left Ur all those years ago, uh, he went up to a place that God told him, get up and go to a place that I will show you. So Abraham did not take out his smartphone and type in a place that I will show you and then find his way there, right? Uh, God needed to tell Abraham where to go. And so God did that. But he lived as an alien and a stranger, uh, not having any idea uh, of, of how long it might be until he inherited the promises. And he lived among these godless pagans his entire life. But he went because he had faith in God. He believed God first, and then he lived in obedience. And that's what faith does. Faith shows itself by its obedience to God. And, and that's what Abraham did here. And he went about living in tents with Isaac and later with Jacob, believing that one day he would receive a city. Did he receive a city in his earthly existence? He did not. But he received a city in heaven, I'm sure, and we'll get to visit there someday, and we're looking forward to, to seeing Abraham in his city. Uh, this is our hope, too. Uh, God has made promises to us that, that may not necessarily be fulfilled in our lifetime. Uh, one is that we're going to live eternally with Jesus Christ. And, and those of us who believe that he died for our sins and rose from the dead will live eternally with him uh, in heaven. And to think that we are going to spend eternity with the creator of the universe, with the Lord Jesus Christ, our savior. Uh, that, that, that is too staggering to even understand. But then to add to that, we are going to be heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, receiving everything that Jesus received. That, that is mind blowing in, in, its, uh, in its reach. Uh, so those things, are, they're just too much for our brains to handle. But we look forward to that day with great anticipation, just like Abraham did. Abraham looked forward to that day when he was going to receive these promises. Well, how else did Abraham show his faith? He had faith, he showed it by not knowing where he was going and going anyway. And second, by uh, not knowing how God would fulfill this promise of an heir. Let's look at verses 11 to 12. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So the author takes a break from Abraham here and talks about Sarah's faith for a second. But this is the same faith that Paul writes about in Romans, about Abraham's faith. This is what Paul said about uh, Abraham's faith. Uh, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed so, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Well, Abraham and Sarah trusted God by faith that he would fulfill the promises that he had made to them, even though they were well past childbearing years. Again, faith shows itself by what it does. Faith believes, faith obeys. Uh, And they believed the impossible because they believed in a God who makes the impossible possible. So what are you facing in your life that you think is impossible for God? Here's God who opens up the womb of a 90-year-old woman who's been barren her entire life and fathers an entire nation from this barren womb. There is nothing in your life that's greater and more difficult than that. If you have a problem that you think is impossible, God can handle that problem. You may have to wait a little longer than you would like to wait, but but God is in it and God knows what you need. So uh, we need to trust him to handle our problems. He makes the impossible possible for us as as well as as he did for Abraham and for Sarah. Well, finally, Abraham showed his faith uh, in the ultimate test by offering uh, Isaac, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Again, faith shows itself by what it does, by obedience. God asks this unthinkable thing of Abraham, offer up this child of the promise, and Abraham did it because he believed that somehow, in a way that he could never fathom, somehow he was going to receive Isaac back even from the dead. And Abraham received God's approval, uh, and he received his approval by faith because he obeyed. And Abraham's faith was tested over and over and over again through these various trials uh, by fire in Abraham's life. And Abraham came out of all of this with this faith growing and his faith approved by obedience. And we obtain God's blessing the same way. First, we appropriate it by faith, and then we show that faith by obeying him. Uh, Abraham, he lived a remarkable life, didn't he? Uh, It's an incredible story. Uh, We've spent almost four months covering it. So uh, what can we take from it? What's the big picture here? What is it that God would want us to see uh, from Abraham's life? I, I think that when we study a book of the Bible, there are two questions we really wanna ask. And the first question is, what do I learn about God from this particular story? And the second thing is, What do I learn about myself? How does this apply to me? How can I make use of this story uh, in my life? So uh, let's let's ask these two questions and we'll start with the first question. 
What can I learn about God from this study? And the first thing I want us to see is that God wants to bless us and he wants to bless the world through us. We see that throughout Abraham's story, starting all the way back in chapter 12. His plan from the beginning was to bless Abraham and then to bless all the people of the world through Abraham. It's still God's plan to bless the world and he wants to bless the world through us. Uh, and who does God bless? He blesses those who, who have faith and then demonstrate their faith by obedience, walking with God, even when he asks us things that seem impossible or, or completely unreasonable to us. Uh, when, when we think about God asking Abraham to offer Isaac, that is beyond what we could possibly understand. But God made that good, and he does the same thing in our lives because he wants us to know that his resources are endless and the ways that he can bless us are beyond what we could ever possibly imagine and when we look back on these things we say you know i could never have seen god have working this thing out the way he did and yet he does it and we have so many examples in our own lives if we take the time to look back of how god has done this because of his incredible resources and so when we become believers in the lord jesus christ for our salvation we have to understand that God is for us. I think sometimes we live as though uh, we're afraid that if we do something wrong, that God is up there, uh, you know, just waiting for us to do something wrong so he can, you know, zap us with some kind of punishment, right? You, you walked out of my will and, and you're about to get it. Uh, we should not live in fear of God. God is not against us. God is for us. Romans 8, chapter, Romans chapter 8, verses 32 to 39, has got to be one of the best passages in the entire Bible where we learn that it doesn't matter what we do, nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus when we are in him. And God says that if he gave his own son for us, how will he not freely give us all things? You see how God wants to bless us? It is his desire to bless us. And when we walk in faith, when we walk in obedience to him, we get the blessing. So that's the first thing. God wants to bless us and he still wants to bless the world through us. The second thing, God is sovereign. We have to understand that God is sovereign. God's sovereignty has been a major theme in the life of Abraham. Uh, God led uh, Abraham to Canaan. God opened wombs that could not be opened. He rescued Abraham and Sarah from circumstances that they had gotten themselves into by their deceit. God walked through the animal parts alone and he swore by himself, thereby guaranteeing the promise. It did not depend on Abraham, it depended on God. And God's sovereignty is what makes these promises come true. Uh, he's able to fulfill these promises because he is sovereign. So we see that theme of God's sovereignty throughout Abraham's life. And God is sovereign in our lives too. And he can turn bad things for good. Uh, we just need to go to him, trust him uh, with, with whatever it is that, that we uh, have need of. All right, here's a third thing. God gives grace when we sin. Now, I've been talking about you know, appropriating faith, believing, and then following and obeying God. And, and that's great. When we obey God, that's wonderful. But what happens when we don't obey God? And what happens when we don't trust God? Well, as believers, God still is calling us back to him. Romans 8.1 says, uh, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And if we're in Christ Jesus, uh, 
we may sin and, and we will sin, but God is going to still graciously call us back to himself. Abraham went down to Egypt without a word from God and got himself in trouble with Pharaoh. Uh, Abraham lied to Abimelech and got himself in trouble in that situation. Abraham was impatient, not waiting for the child of the promise, and went into Hagar. Uh, these were sinful actions, but still God fixed it. God rescued Abraham and Sarah because they were believers, because they were in him. Uh, God has a way of making things work out. Uh, God is so gracious to call believers back to himself, even when we sin. Now, we ought not make a habit of it, but we ought to be able to be thankful that when we sin, uh, God, God can redeem that sin. And finally, God will judge unrepentant sinners. We certainly learn from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, that there is a threshold uh, beyond which uh, God has to judge at that point. Uh, God can only tolerate sin for so long before he has to judge it. That's part of his character because you can't have a God of love without a God of judgment. They are inconsistent when you think about it. And so many people in our society don't like the God of judgment. They only like the God of love. And so many people, they, they, they think about God and, and they cherry pick attributes of God that they like and they mold it into a ball of clay of their own creation and they say, this is my God and this God looks nothing like the true and real God. Uh, you can read Romans 1 and you can find out all about how uh, persistent, a willful, unrepentant sin causes God to eventually give them over to their sin so that they no longer can believe. Uh, and hell awaits that kind of sinner. And so that's why it's so important for us to talk to people about Jesus, to, to tell people that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that they can have eternal life as well. God wants us to tell people that so that they can receive the blessing through us. So God will judge sin, uh, and it's, it's our responsibility as Christians to tell the world about that. Well, much more could be said about uh, what we can learn about God, and I pray that there are a lot more things that, that you have learned that I have not mentioned here. Um, and I pray that that's so in your lives. But, but the second question that we need to ask is, what can we learn about ourselves? And this is really the so what question, right? Uh, so what? We've talked about Abraham for four months. What difference does it make? What, wh why do we care? Why is this relevant to me? Well, I, I think that, that for this study to have any value to us, uh, we have to understand that though this was 4,000 years ago, Abraham was a real person with real problems, who had real sin in his life, who had to make decisions about whether he was going to trust God and do it God's way, or trust himself and his own reasoning and faculties and do things his own way, because we face all of those things too. Uh, Abraham did several things right. The first thing that he did right was to believe, right? A uh, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's justification, that's salvation. That's the first thing he did right. He believed by faith and then the rest of the things that he did right were obedience that sprung from the fact that he has faith. So what else did he do right? He went to, uh, to uh, Canaan. Uh, chapter 14, he rescued Lot. Chapter 15, he believed God. Chapter 17, he rescued or he circumcised his household. Uh, chapter 18, he showed hospitality to uh, God and his two angels. Uh, chapter 22, he offered Isaac. Chapter 24, he trusted God to find a bride for Isaac. So these are all things that, that Abraham did right that sprung from his faith. 
But Abraham did a couple things wrong too also, right? We've already talked about. He lied to Abimelech. He lied to Pharaoh. He went into Hagar. He should not have done these things. And when he did those things, he learned that there were long-lasting consequences and some of them were difficult. Having to send your son away has got to be a very difficult thing to do, obviously. Uh, what did Abraham learn? He learned that it was better to trust God than to trust himself. He learned that God's timing was better than his own timing. You see, we are no different from Abraham, even though he lived 4,000 years ago. He's a picture of us, and when we read about uh, the life of Abraham, we're looking at us, and God wanted us to see the entire panorama of human experience through Abraham so that we would know how to live in response to all the difficulties that life has to offer. And so Abraham trusted God, uh, and, and through that experience, he grew more and more in faith. Now, some of you may be discouraged because sometimes your faith does not measure up to the faith of Abraham's. And my faith doesn't always offer up to the faith or, or measure up to the faith of Abraham. And I love this verse, Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. When you fail in your faith, when I fail in my faith, Let's not be discouraged. Let's get back on the bicycle again and, and ride it again, right? Uh, we are going to fail, but God is doing a work in us. Abraham lived uh, walking in God's will for a hundred years or more. Um, and so he did not, when he got the call from, uh, from Ur, all of a sudden his faith was perfected, right? It, it took a long time for him to be able to offer up Isaac. And, and we'll have obstacles in our life, and that's why God continues to test our faith uh, because he's trying to grow our faith. So don't be discouraged by the things that, that get you down now. God is working on you, and, and he's going to continue to do th this good work in you. So if you look at your handout, I left a blank for you at the bottom of it uh, in the bulletin. And the reason I put that there was so that you could think about what you have learned about yourself and how you might apply this message to your life in ways that I haven't said. So if you have time, I would just challenge you to think uh, back over the 15 weeks that we've been studying Abraham's life and think about what you've learned and think about uh, how his life and what he did in his life and what God did in his life and how God showed his grace in his life, how that impacts your life and how that might affect how you live. God is searching for obedient people to bless. That's what he wants to do. And, and so I pray that, that through this study of God's grace in the life of Abraham, uh, we've learned something about God and that we've learned something about ourselves that is going to be helpful and impact the way we live going forward. Uh, how much God loves us, how much he wants to pour his blessings out uh, onto us uh, for those who are faithful and obedient, because it's those who are faithful and who are approved by testing uh, who God blesses. And so I pray that this is so in our lives. So let's thank God for this uh, study of, of Abraham and, and what an incredible disciple he was and, and just be thankful for, for the lessons that he has shown to us. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we do thank you uh, for Abraham, uh, the father of all who believe. Uh, Lord, through him, uh, all of us owe our salvation because uh, you chose a family uh, and through that family, you chose to make nations, and, and through that, those nations, uh, we, we, owe our, we owe our faith to, to uh, him and, and what you did in his life. Lord, help us to, to use his life, to understand his life, to, to see where he did well, 
uh, where he was able to achieve greater intimacy and uh, approval from you when he obeyed and how things uh, got fouled up in his life when he disobeyed. Lord, help us to trust you in all that, that you ask of us. Help us to understand that you mean good for us and not harm, and that when we walk in you by faith in you, that we will uh, get the blessing that you so richly want to give us. And Lord, we thank you mostly for your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us eternal life when we believe in him, when we believe that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, uh, Lord, the most incredible gift that you could ever give us is to save us from uh, the sin and, and from your wrath that we deserve. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.